we started seeing a lot more companies who are serving immigrants and they are going into more niche like there are companies who are focused on asian grocery delivery like we there are companies who are doing very there are companies like you know we are focused on the media content and a lot of other factors i think in ideal world particularly with covid things has gotten much worse actually because when you're moving from one country to another country there are like 50 regulation you have to constantly keep track of and if i'm traveling to us there's a 24 hours before test and i'm traveling to india there are three days before antigen test and then the type of test are different pretty sure if you're going to travel you're going to see all those regulation and try to figure it out i honestly think we are at a stage where we can streamline that process because we can have a better communication among country at least for traveling purpose for visa and b1 and b2 and h1 obviously like i'm not going to comment on oh what the h1b policy should be and all those mm-hmm. but i think it doesn't matter what policies are but once we have given visa to someone or once we have decided they can come in that process need to be super amazingly smooth Welcome to the GMI Rocket Show. Today's episode number 67. I'm your host, Roman Zelichenko. I am a former immigration attorney turned entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder of Laborless, which is an immigration tech startup that focuses on H-1B visa compliance, and also the founder of GMI Rocket, which is brings you the show and is a digital marketing agency for the immigration global mobility space. Today, I'm very excited to have Priyank Singh, who is the co-founder and CTO of Stilt, on the show. What I love about today's conversation that we're going to have is it kind of just shows me how broad, you know, depending on how you define immigration tech, how broad it is. You know, I think initially for me as an immigration lawyer, I looked at immigration tech as just tools that, you know, help lawyers fill out forms and, and put together immigration applications. But I don't know, I, over time, I've kind of stepped back and realized immigration tech really can or perhaps should be technology that supports immigrants throughout the whole journey from the very beginning when they're, you know, getting ready to move all the way through the moving process and afterwards too when they're settling into their new home country, whether it's the US or somewhere else. So Stilt is one of these companies. Stilt does a number of things, but their, you know, core kind of offering is a bank, like bank loans and providing uh, financial services for immigrants. And we'll get into that. Um, we'll get into how Priyank and his co-founder came up with this idea and how they kind of launched it and, you know, how they were sort of foreign nationals and, and, and international students here in the U.S. as well. So very excited for today's episode. And without further ado, Priyank, thank you so much for being here and for joining me on the show. Hey, Roman. Thanks for having me here. Priyank, so I, you know, man, I wanted to, as I was sharing this podcast across social media, I was kind of, I wanted to write this whole philosophical thing about like immigration tech is so much broader than just forms and, you know, support for lawyers. And and that's really important. I mean, that's the world that I come from and I'm in. So I love kind of the idea that, you know, you're a a tech company and a fintech company, you know, that provides sort of financial services for immigrants, something that as a lawyer, I don't even think about, you know, it's like I work with the immigrant or perhaps their, their company, if it's a H1B scenario on their visa, you know, you get it approved, they move here. And then, you know, I know that there are challenges, but you just don't think about that in the, as a lawyer very often, you kind of like move on to the next thing. And so the reality is that there is so much more that immigrants specifically need support and help with in their journey. So I want to kind of learn about you and, and, and your life. I mean, you came to the US for graduate school, right? So you spent a number of years, you know, back, you were are from India, yeah. right? And so you spent sure. a number of years. I mean, what can you share about kind of growing up where you grew up? And I don't know, what was your sort of childhood like? What kind of kid were you, you know? Oh, wow. Very uh, <laughs> interesting question. So yeah, as, as you said, like, you know, I'm from India. Um, Lucknow is the northern part of the India. And um, pretty normal childhood, like in India, like, when you are growing up, you're like, oh, you want to become engineer, doctor, whatever you want to become. I, I think for me, um, when I was in middle school, I started writing code. And the reason why I started doing it, because I got hooked with uh, Dave and Princess of Persia game. So as a kid, when you're going to computer lab, you get chance to play all those things. So I'm like, man, this is so exciting. I have a dedicated hour in my middle school where I can go during that hour and play games. And that was the beginning of me getting hooked on computer. 
And then I learned basic. Then I learned Fox Pro by high school. I knew C, C++ very deeply. And I was like, this is the best job ever. I, I am going to be inside. I'll be just writing code. And you can do everything with the computer, actually. Like the application of computer was so broad and so exciting. It was just amazing. So that passion of writing code and building things and applying computer into multiple area was just got stuck with me. So then I did uh, my undergrad from India, went to Delhi. It's uh, northern, again, northern part of the India where uh, went through the entire undergrad. Um, the thing that you might not know about me is like I was too much deep into research when I was in undergrad. And um, I was fascinated by this idea that computer science is a is a science, applied science that help others to do their job better. Mm. And um, I got it from my one of my teachers, Sanjay Goel. He's really, really uh, forward thinking. And with him, I worked with archaeologists to make their life easy. And then um, I worked with people with a special need. Uh, and it was just fascinating. And um, that motivated me to, uh, you know, do more research and further study. And that's what bring me to New York, Columbia University, where same thesis, I, I was working with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with the group, which is working with Smithsonian Institute in uh, where we were having a leaf sample. You are taking a picture of the leaf and it's an educational app you work on. It was really fascinating for me. Like, and I, I think it has been part of my life where I'm using computer science to apply into different fields that can help life of others better. Mm-hmm. And it's still this one of the example of that where we are applying computer, as you said, like tech to make life of immigrants better in the US. Particularly being an immigrant when you move to US, it's not just the paperwork, how you're gonna rent an apartment, how you're gonna get your first phone how you're going to get your first credit card. It's so much, it makes life so difficult for everyone, for us to be just survive here. And uh, which was really interesting that people who are working so hard, coming here for higher education, they have to work extra hard to just live here in the US. And I think that zeal, that that motivation kept, I'm still having that, like how we can apply science, computer science basically in making life of people better. And fintech is one example of it. Legal tech is another example of it. So, yeah, I think in nutshell, I love computers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny when I when I was growing up, for some reason, um, when we we got a computer when I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade, and for some reason the computer lived in my bedroom. You know, not my parents' room, not in the living room where everyone had had, had access to it. It was my room. And it was the same thing. I started building websites. I taught myself HTML when I was like 12 years old. You know, I built, I remember I built a website about my favorite rappers. Like I built a website for DMX. I built a website for like Eve or, you know, all these other rappers. Um, And I just, I don't know why it didn't stick with me, but I I remember that joy. Do you remember when, uh, I don't know if it was the same thing for you at the time in India, but you could get like games, like CD ROMs with games, like in the, in the mail, maybe like a free, you know, one level for free. And it was just such a, you know, now there's all this stuff everywhere. I'm I'm curious when you were playing, um, you said Prince of Persia, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Prince of Persia and Dave, I think that was the name. Yeah. You were playing the games, but were you able to like code in the game? Like, were you able to get into like, let's say the back end of, or the code of the game? Or were you saying that just playing with the games made you really kind of enamored with the computer? I got curious how they build the game, actually. Mm. And um, the next thing, the first program I did in my entire life, I still remember, I was, it, everything was on MS-DOS. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, when I was born, what day was it? So I wrote a computer program to identify go back in the history and identify the day when I was born. Was it like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh-huh. I like, when. let's see coding do it and what you can do. And it took me two weeks to do it on a DOS and basic. But that there's just that curiosity, like, you know, how to do it and what you can achieve was really, really fun. And I did not exactly understood at that time, Dave. But to the point, like, we used to get these magazine, like, digit chip, and all those things where you get a DVD and you can show Linux or you can show the game. So you can show the programming language and you can work with it actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember there was one of the, something I was working in C or C++ back then. And you can write code to color the screen and create a board and chess and everything. So I eventually I started doing that. 
And I also remember a long time back, like I think, in, well, now it's a long time back, like I think uh, 20 years back or something, uh, I wanted to see how my voice looked like in the waveform. So I recorded my voice and you can read, um, you know, you can plot a graph, like how waves look like. And mm-hmm. I did that. It was so fascinating. I was like, man, this is how voice looks like. This is... Mm. you can see if you drop a coin you can see waveform how it's generating now it seems easy and i am pretty sure back then there must be tools to do it i i was just not aware about it right so, and i was going to a lot of things well and my question to too would be just from that period of time okay you know you're curious and a lot of a lot of kids you know think to themselves oh wow this is so cool i can control a character and walk around in this world and whatever um uh, but did you you know you were young i mean so were you were did you get books on it you know you, you go into the library or something or got books i mean how, you know there was no youtube back then right you can't uh, just google how do you learn how to code i i i read a lot of books back, yeah. back then we internet was really bad and super right. expensive so it's like it's not like i can do hours and hours of surfing and plus like if bills are going up my parents are like what are you doing right uh, um so i used to spend a lot of time in library got like bunch of books in c c++ because that's the only language i knew back then and i just read all the books like you know like i i think i read like 10 books by the time i was in high school just on c c++ and all like how to do graphic programming how to do like really um, detailed and going in like hardware sort of stuff and that was really fascinating for me like what you are reading in electronics you can read with computer to electron to diode to physics to this and i think that's the fascinating part that uh, we we only read about programming and html but when you go into the nitty gritty of how it work it mm-hmm. much more fascinating and I think my teachers were amazing too. Obviously, when I, <laughs> I I still remember like hogging them after the college and school and like, oh, how does it work? They're like, okay, they will spend hours with me to wow. tell me. So that helped. And the other part is like friend circle is really important. Mm-hmm. So it's not just me. Like bunch of us used to write code together and like debug each other's code and make things and push each other. Like, oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. And, and and that entire ecosystem was super powerful that's amazing that is really really important um i think my challenge now that when you say that was i didn't have any friends doing the same thing so it was it was me sitting at home you know writing at that point it was html or something um and then all my friends were outside and it's like well i want to see them too so i have to leave the computer that's really interesting so another thing i'm curious about before we kind of jump into your you know um a journey here to the, to New York and starting grad school did your parents pressure you i know you said you know kind of like the doctor or lawyer or a computer engineer i think for me I mean, in my household i wasn't really pressured in that direction but i did become a lawyer so i guess you know my parents are both computer scientists so i think there was some undertone of that did your parents or did your family kind of pressure you in that or was it just a given that if you have the ability to be educated you're going to go and become you know a computer scientist or a medical doctor or something no there's no pressure so my dad is an electrical engineer and he did his engineering in 1970 and he still makes fun of me during his time computer was one chapter and in hindi is called abikalak which is like oh there's a machine which is doing something so he still makes fun of me like oh that's not even engineering he's electrical engineer <laughs> which is like transformers electricity and the entire thing I I think I I think I since childhood I loved math and I loved mm-hmm. science. Uh, bio or uh, art is something that I never got passion for. Um all of my sisters they are really good in those things. So um they never pressured me. I remember like I still remember when when there was a time to choose like what do you want to do math or science or this they left me alone like you know it's your choice what do you want to do it. and i picked computer because first of all my dad is electrical engineer he used to go out like in summer in india and get things done i like i don't want to go out in summer on a be inside a room with ac on and like... <laughs> that's a very practical reason to go into computer yeah. science i like yeah that's the best engineer i can think of and i just did it so it come back to you know that um, i am pretty sure you must have read outlier that 10000 10000 hour rule or something 
the more you do, the more better you get. And, and that's kind of drive your passion. I think that's what happened with me. I, I was writing code. I was doing these things. So it it was not even a second guess for me that I need to do something else. I like, you know, I just want to do what I'm good at it and I enjoy it. So why not do it for entire life? It's much more fun. That's amen. That's amazing. So Priyank, you know, at this point, I want to know about, okay, you, you clearly love engineering. You're definitely good at it because you're learning it. You're doing it on your own. You're spending time with your kind of friends and, and you know, you, you're pounding professors to, to learn more and dive deeper. Um, so there's definitely a passion and talent there. Did you, what was your decision to apply for a student visa to come to the U.S.? And sort of what was that process like? Because I think clearly here, you know, is where your introduction to the immigration process, at least personally, um, gets started. And, but, and, you know, so I'm curious kind of what made you choose to do that? Because you probably could have stayed and worked at a company in India or, or you know, what have you um, for, for longer yeah. So what made you choose that? And sort of how did you feel going through the immigration process? Um, so being very honest, when I was graduating from my college, I, I had a good job and I, I never thought that I want to go for higher education. A bunch of my friends, uh, they moved to Bay Area, actually moved to U.S. And they, are, they went to Stanford of the world and, you know, all those good universities. Um, I think one of the trigger was I, I knew that I want to do something interesting and do something in research because in my undergrad, I, I, I published like three research papers. So we went and did the proper publication, did a presentation. So the, it was really, um, so I remember in my sophomore year, I did my first research paper. And when we did the presentation, it was an international crowd. And that was my first time meeting people from different countries. And it was one of the conference going on. We did a paper. We presented that paper and everybody was clapping. It's because um, we were the youngest in that entire conference. And it was really, really, really empowering. I still remember that. Um, and I think that that helped us to be more motivated towards doing more research-oriented work and building new things. Um, so that paper was um, applying computer science in archaeology. And we cut down the work for them, what they used to spend one month into one minute, actually. Wow. So, uh, and they were really happy with it. They got so excited. They, they came in the conference and talked about, oh, can you guys do this? Can you do this rendering? Can you do that? Can you do that? And that just showed like the power of computer science, actually, how you can impact someone's life in such a way that's like mind-blowing. So... There was always an inkling that, you know, I want to do more research, I want to study more, I want to see that. Uh, but, like, after undergrad, one of the things was, like, education is expensive in the U.S. So I was like, man, that master's and graduate school is super expensive. Maybe, you know, it's not my cup of tea and I'm just going to work. But, but in 2007, there was a recession going on. So... I got laid off from three jobs, actually, back to back after college. Um, I, and I was one of the nine pointers, like, I think second rank in the entire college. I got the best job in the college and all those things. Um, I remember without going to retail, like back to back in three months, I got three jobs and I got laid off from all three of them. And then I ended up joining uh, one company. And by that time, I was like, it's so bad. I, I think the better thing for me is to go to next phase of education and see what are the other options available. So um, I think then I started applying for, I started going through the process about GRE and TOEFL and so on. And at that time, I did not know about the immigration that well, because the first thing is getting to a college. And then the second thing is getting to visa. Um, it was nightmare to figure out what document to do. Uh, you were getting mixed messages that, oh, they might say no in the interview for XYZ region. You need documentation. You need financial support documentation. I don't know how the relative situation works. Oh, if I have a family there, they're going to say something. So the, just creating the F1 document interview was tough. And then second, not knowing what the interview process is going to look like was very, very scary because there's no... There are like few communities where you can go and ask questions. Facebook was not that popular back then. 
So it was very tough to get information, actually. And I was really nervous in my F1 interview, although it lasted for two minutes. I mean, they were really nice. They're like, oh, you're going to Columbia University. Here you go, stamp, done. <laughs> the entire preparation and moment leading towards that was really stressful. And uh, I think getting visa and then landing in the New York first time and don't know what to do next was really interesting. But, but in Columbia University, one good thing they do, uh, there are a lot of uh, the batch which is coming after you, the previous batch, uh, let uh, they let you stay with them for a few days and they tell you like do's and don'ts, uh, which is super helpful. We did that too, is pay as forward sort of thing. You help next, you, they help next and they help next. But yeah, that, that process was <laughs> really interesting. I mean, this goes to show how important it is uh, for university, especially to have a, a good international students and scholars office and to have your DSO and yeah. to just have a support network there. I'm curious, you know, when you finally landed in the U.S., uh, especially in New York, I mean, you know, I'm from New York and I was just walking around today. And I mean, I love my city. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, man, it's so dirty here. Like there's just garbage around, you know, and. I mean, I, I'm sure there's something happened, maybe a garbage truck, something fell off of it. But um, I, I'm just wondering, in general, you came here, what were, what were some of your kind of initial maybe impressions of, uh, of coming into New York City and, you know, starting to attend really one of the best known and old, you know, universities of the world? So uh, The thing is, when I landed, I was worried about my phone, where I'm going to live, where I'm going to open my bank account. I got these travelers check. I don't know what to do with it. So I, I really did not enjoy that initial wow moment, like when I landed. And the second thing, you're like, oh, this looks like an Indian city. Like so many people, the same, like, you know, back home. So it didn't feel that different. Like people were, and the best thing in New York, like everybody is like so focused on their work, you know, they are super helpful, so focused on the work. So it didn't feel that odd. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think it actually hit after a month when when I had an apartment, I had a phone and everything. This is the time when, you know, college is about to start in a week and you have settled. I got part-time job and everything. Like, oh, I'm going to go into Columbia University. Let's check around. Like, oh, this is a library. This is a college. And, oh, these are the teachers. The profs, were, those are profs. I, I used to read their books, actually. So it's, like, fascinating. Like, you read their book and you never imagined that you'll be going into their college so mm-hmm. it was really fascinating like I, I remember going to meeting friends from different countries and sharing that experience was really fun okay so so Priyank this is where I want to talk about your your you meeting Rohit who is now your co-founder at Stilt can you just talk a little bit about that I know he's not here for this interview but you know just from your perspective sort of how did you guys get together uh, because I know after after uh, you guys graduated from Columbia, you kind of went your separate ways, you worked at other companies, and then you eventually reconnected to effectively create Stilt. Um, but what was that first kind of, you know, when you guys first met? And I don't know, did you start thinking about ideas then? Or were you just friends? Not at Columbia. I, I think the way we met is, um, so, well, the problem, the, the problem that we are solving is the problem how we met, actually. I moved to US in 2009. And I, Rohit was here in 2010. So he came here after me and, you know, he was trying to find an apartment without SSN and social security. And, you know, having that huge deposit is too much for one person. Like if you don't have SSN, you have to put down three or four month deposit actually up front. So we were looking for, he was looking for a place to stay. And, you know, we, we ended, he ended up doing couch surfing in my apartment and eventually became one of the roommate. That's how we met. Um, so I think during that time, you know, just we used to chat and talk and just like any other college friend, we used to hang out. Um, and um, it didn't hit us that time because I think we were, we, we didn't know that we can solve this problem, to be honest. We were so much um, into our own problem at that time. Oh, when we are going to graduate. Oh, how am I going to pay fee for my next semester? Oh. Am I going to get a job or not? All those worry in the college are there. So you don't try to, you don't think about solving. At least I didn't think about solving the problem because first you need to solve your basic needs and then you can worry about the. So we met there and obviously, you know, we became friends. 
we know each other. And um, then uh, I moved to Seattle. I went to Microsoft. Um, and he went to uh, Verix Analytics. He started doing more. Um, he started building risk model for banks and doing a lot of data analysis for credit card risk and all. And I think in 2014 or 15, when I moved to Bay Area, um, we both were, after five, six years, we were at the same place. And that's when we started writing code and trying out a bunch of ideas. Like, oh, you know what? Let's try this out. Let's try a bunch of ideas. This was by no means still was our first try. <laughs> we tried a bunch of other ideas. Like, um, I'm not going to go into that. It's like a lot of crazy ideas. But Well, uh, hold what, on. What, can you share one? <laughs> can you share one crazy idea? So one of the idea was we were trying to say, like, you know, there's Uber, Lyft, DoorDash at that time. And we were thinking we can create an app where we will tell driver which one of the service they should work for that will optimize their pain. Hmm. So, like, you know, if I'm Uber driver and I'm seeing, like, maximum money DoorDash is giving me for next one hour, I'm going to do that job rather than going for Uber or Lyft. So it is optimizing income for these drivers. But the problem was the, the, we don't have data access from Lyft and Uber and all those things. So that's one of the ideas we worked on. Um, and when we were doing the experimentation, we, we, we just thought about like, oh, you know, uh, how did we meet? And one of the idea was um, th 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 this just stuck to us like, oh, there are people like us who are facing the problem. That's how we met Rohit faced the problem. I faced the problem because um, when I moved here, I did not have enough um, two years of um, one and a half years of education loan. And I thought like, you know, I can get loan in the US from any bank, but obviously they said no. Uh, and Rohit faced the same problem, renting an apartment to other thing. So we thought like, you know, why don't we solve this problem? Because we know inherently people who are coming for grad school, they are like hardworking going to go to school, they will be better for risk. Um, so our first tagline was, I, as you know, it was loan for Indian students in the US. And that's how we started. Because I thought many Indian students who are coming to US face this problem. And um, we thought like, you know, we'll start giving out loan. And um, the first loan that we gave was, I, I gave out from my saving because you know, it was a risk we are taking, but we also believe that immigrants are fundamentally very risk. They, they, they are like hardworking and they will pay back. And so we ended up uh, giving $5,000 of a loan to first borrower with a really bad website, very bad process at that time. And we just gave out loan. Um, it just went into that direction. And then we gave out all of our saving. We took loan from our friends, we gave out their money, then we got into Y Combinator. Then it picked up from there. But yeah, it started with the fact that, you know, we, we realized like, oh, we face the problem. There must be others who face the problem. And we saw like it, it picked up really well. Uh, I went into San Jose State University, talked about what I do, helped them out with their resume. And we got hundreds of students actually applying for a loan and uh, asking for like advice and a lot of other factors. So it just shows that, you know, there, there's a financial component to it, obviously that they need loan, but it also showed that like, there's no other option. Like even unfortunately, even now it's just uh, banks, uh, other financial institutes are so much focused on credit history, SS and other factor that they are missing out on a bigger audience. And mm -hmm. that's a good thing about us. I think that's why we exist we are able to capture that. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much there to, uh, uh, to, to unpack. I mean, I think the one, one really interesting idea there is you guys both obviously, you know, went your separate ways. Uh, I know Rohit went to Verisk and then I think pop sugar, he worked at, um, and you went to Microsoft and then Amazon or Amazon and Microsoft. So you both had great jobs. I mean, that's the point. I mean, that's the dream. You come to the U S you study, you, you get your engineering degree, you go on to get a great job, you move up, you know, you hopefully, uh, hopefully you get your green card and you kind of settle down maybe, or potentially move home or whatever it might be. But the idea of education and a good job here is in, in some ways, the kind of American dream or the immigrant dream maybe. Um, but I, th I think it's a really interesting that, you know, you guys looked at that problem that you both had 
and uh, you just put your own money into it and just to try to solve it. Like that doesn't sound like a tech company to me. That sounds like you were just a you were like a, a neighborhood bank. You know what I mean? You you probably I guess you had a website and some sort of a, a brand. Um, but it just it sounds like you pulled money together and you said, look, we now have some capital. Um, we fundamentally believe that immigrants are, are 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 good for their for their loan. You know, especially you know your your target audience first was these immigrant uh, international students from India. I'm sure a lot of them studied uh, engineering, and you're like, look, they're going to get a good job. It's almost guaranteed. There's a lot of need for for those skills. They're going to pay us back. I think that's really. I just think that's cool from a tech company standpoint because you started in a very non-tech way. Um, I'm curious, just kind of in that in those early days, and and I, I asked this because again, I started this show wanting to highlight entrepreneurs who are building businesses around the immigration industry and sort of what they had to go through because there's not a lot of that. You can hear about how Uber started and Facebook, but if you're trying to build something for the immigration space, you just sometimes it doesn't quite relate because there are different nuances. So I'm curious, what were maybe some of the challenges that you came across in the early days when you were first trying to prove out this business model and get things going? Um, you said one of them was that you couldn't loan money from banks, so you had to take your savings and borrow money from friends and family to then loan out right. to students. But I'm wondering, were there any other kind of challenges or things that maybe right now you look back on and uh, you know that you could maybe give advice on or, or something like that? So bunch of things like... Uh, like, look, I mean, actually, the thing is that, you know, when you start, you are not doing almost anything which is scalable, actually, because first of all, you don't know what are the scalable thing at that time. So you don't want to optimize for wrong variable, right? Mm. Second, um, the thing is, uh, you want to experiment faster. So you want to try a bunch of things and see what's going to work. I mean, debt capital, getting funding for the loan was one issue, but at the same time, in early days, we did not have ECH API, so we did not have capability to transfer money and get money from our borrower. So me and Rohit used to run around and deposit checks in every bank. Like, oh, Citibank, let's go there, check it. Bank of America, do it. Because we did not have APIs to transfer money at that time. And I think for like about one to two years, we relied on our customers to transfer money back to us because we did not have capability to debit money from their account. Mm -hmm. So we used to send them reminder and like immigrants are really nice. I mean, but really also there's an emotional company attached to it because we help them at the time of their need. Um, they, they, they have a strong bond with us and they have become eventually champions for us. And they, they used to transfer money back on their own, actually, without us, like, you know, a lot of pinging them or doing a lot of stuff. And they transfer collecting payment was one of the big issues at that time how are we gonna do it we i'm giving five thousand dollars to someone hoping he will pay back in 12 installments in 12 months so that was another issue um at that time we didn't know what growth metrics are gonna work for us so did a lot of i went into universities gave talks um I, one other thing i did in new york i took the path so from New York to New Jersey, you take path for traveling. So a lot of students who are in NYU or Columbia, they live in New Jersey. So they always take these path trains to go around. So I used to get on that train and start conversation with them. Like, oh, they had a backpack. And you can see, like, you know, they are really tired and sleep deprived. Most <laughs> likely. And then I struck a conversation, hey, are you guys are sharing at NYU? have that conversation, tell them about it still, educate them about it still, and they will ask more questions. And I was trying to create those, um, first of all, I was trying to understand the customers as well, like what they are looking for and how we can build better product. But at the same time, we are telling them about it still. So that early days and early customer base, like we got, I think for about one or two years, we got all the customers through organic channel. We wrote a lot of blog posts. We reach out to customers on one-on-one -on -one basis. And that has been the most biggest driving factor for us even right now. I love that. I'm sure if, if you can empathize with them, you know, because if you get into a conversation with another international student, especially if they might be from India, you know, you could, you've been there, you know, you, 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 you understand what they're going through. And so they, there's a trust factor there. And it is crazy that you gave out money, um, hoping 
really that people would pay you back. I, I mean, I wonder, I mean, the lawyer brain in me is like, well, what legal rem? I'm sure there was some paperwork that they signed and whatnot, but I mean, yeah, we did go through legal process. Uh, yeah. I, I ended up reading a lot of legal stuff, asking for lawyers. So apparently there are laws in which, like in New York, you can lend out up to a certain amount, up to a certain APR. I, I think all the laws around, like if you're trying to charge aggressively, like 100% APR and super aggressive rate, we, we never did that. And we even don't do it right now. So like uh, states like New York, are uh, like uh, obviously, like, you know, you have to read deeper in the regulations. Um, some states allow you to lend out money without licenses. And identifying those states was the key. So we ended up talking to a lot of founders. We ended up talking to a lot of lawyers, doing a lot of our own research, reading all the law and asking for clarification from lawyers or even calling regulators actually, hey, you know, we want to do this. Do you think it's wrong? And we did a lot of hustling during early days and got these data. And that's how we started doing, okay, let's do for this state because they let us lend out money. And over the time, obviously, we ended up working with law firms who helped us to build a better compliance. But in early days, yeah, it was like entire scrappy work, like get the law firms, the expenses, so how we can cut down the cost, talk to regulators. They are the source of truth, actually. And they're really nice. You talk to them, they educate you, you work with it. So a lot of, <laughs> yes, I ended up reading a lot of legal stuff as a mm-hmm. part of building the company. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> as a lawyer, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to very quickly just, because I want to dive into now kind of what still does today and and kind of where the company is going. But before we get that, I'm just I very briefly, I want to hear about your maybe experience or some of the things you took away from YC. I know that's a lot of companies apply for YC every year. You know, like the dream is to get there. And you obviously, by the time you applied for YC, it sounds like you have had given out some loans. You put your own savings on the line. You put other people's savings on the line. So you had proven out something there. And I guess YC took an interest in the idea. Um, And, you know, you guys are doing great today. So uh, another hopefully successful uh, choice on their end. But when you were going through YC, I'm just curious, as somebody who hadn't or hasn't, what were some of the things you took away from maybe the mentors there or the other other companies that were there? You know, anything you can share? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's not just took away. Uh, We are still part of YC. So starting a company and i'm pretty sure you will be able to correlate like when you start a new company or any anything new you don't have that um, support system basically emotional support system being very honest like look yc brand name is really good and hiring fundraise and all those are like very obvious um the other part that you don't know about is like you have a very trusted group of folks whom you can go and talk about things like we know if, if we had at that time when we were talking, uh, we had to find the compliance issue, which we did not know. Uh, we'll go to people, uh, go to companies who are fintech or founders who are fintech founders and ask them, oh, what do you think about these things? How to approach? What should we do? We don't have money because they have gone through the same phase and which is really powerful learning that we hear from them. Um, so I, I think that in the core of it, the YC community is really powerful. And it's a very trustworthy community. You can go to them and talk to them and they, you will find someone who has solved the problem actually that you're trying to solve. If Even if they are not, you can bounce back ideas with them and try to come to a conclusion. So it's really helpful in strategy and a lot of other factors. So I, I think we still rely a lot on our YC network. We, I still talk to my friends and constantly we are like, oh, what do you guys think about this and that? Because Every year when we add more new people, they are coming out with more new ideas, actually, and they are working on something new, like crypto, NFTs, and all those things, which, you know, I tried sharing everything, but when I talk to a founder, like, oh, yeah, okay, so this is what it is. Okay, this is what I understand. So it is really powerful, for particularly for first-time founders who don't know where to start. It helps you to think in the right way about starting a company. Um, you know, they tell us from day one, like, it's a marathon, so you should take care of yourself and everything, which is very counterintuitive because, you know, you go into YC, now you have to work really hard and meet all the metrics. But, like, no, you have to focus on overall health of yourself and your company. That's how you make a good company. You don't rush into it. That's really, that's actually really good to hear that they say that because I think 
you know, overworking and undersleeping is still kind of glorified. And so it's nice that if if the one of the leading incubators, accelerators of the world is recommending to their cohorts, you know, to, to also take care of themselves. And hopefully that thesis will trickle down, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they also say, like, your metrics needs to go up. Right. So you have to balance it out. But right. um, I think at the end of the day, uh, and the second party, like, the YC, the folks who are at YC, like, all the mentors, they have built the companies. So it's easy to correlate and empathize better in the situation. And we do the same thing. When the new cohort is coming and they want to do fintech, a lot of them come to me and Rohit and, like, oh, how can we do this? How can we do this? And, you know, we, we help them to navigate how to make a good company. Mm. So it's really powerful in that way. Amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. I went through the YC startup school a couple of years ago with uh, with Laborless. I mean, it's not it's not the real accelerator, but it's like an eight week or something program. And I found even that to be incredibly helpful just yeah. to have uh, a cohort of people. I still keep in touch with a few of them who are starting certain things. Some of them are still going, some of them aren't, but um, that's really cool. All right, so I want to jump into what does Stilt do today? What's the benefit or where do you guys come in to help the immigrant uh, community or population and, and others? Because I think you you support immigrants as your, where you started, but there are many people who don't have access to loans and banks where your model, I guess, uh, is, is helpful. So yeah, can you walk me or and the listeners through kind of what Stilt does and, and what's your value? Definitely. So um, obviously we started with a very niche um, uh, we started with the Indian international insurance, but what we learned over the time that uh, people, it doesn't matter which country you belong to, when you move from country A to country B, you face the same problem. Because in a new country, you have to start from scratch, you have to build trust with the financial system, and then you only get a good product. Now it's a chicken egg problem, because if you're not getting a product, you cannot prove yourself to financial insured. So, what we learned during the time building stilt, there are multiple things. One of the key things is that we were amazed to see how many people face this problem in their different part of their life. We used to think only international students are facing the problem. But pretty recently, we, we funded loan to VP of engineering for, you know, neobanks and Goldman Sachs and AMAX executive who are moving to U.S. from their home country. Hmm. So... It was very interesting to see that the problem that we are solving impact folks into multiple stages of their life, not just like international students. Uh, and eventually at this moment, I think we have customers from about 160 countries who have been wow. in the U.S. And uh, with different stages of life, some of them took loan for traveling to moving expense to uh, getting um apartment uh, deposits to getting married to uh, like a lot of use cases which we never thought it will be the case so um, right now the entire focus of the company is to uh, to go uh, and help and fund these immigrants who don't have a long enough great history in the us it takes about five to seven years of it takes about five to seven years for you to build a decent credit history to be approved for forty thousand dollars of unsecured personal loan, which we can do. We can we can approve up to forty thousand dollars of loan to folks with very limited credit history or no credit history actually. And the entire focus of the company is to support the population who are falling into that criteria, and immigrants, refugees, DACA holders, asylum. Uh, even U.S. surgeons, like college students who are graduating, they are also applying for loan because they don't have long enough credit history. So one of our product, um, which is consumer-focused product, is completely doing, uh, serving the need of a population who, who are thin to no-profile customer, but who are really good. And we are starting with very low interest rate. We are funding them and they are paying back. What we also did is we are working on this product where whatever learning we got in the last few years, of lending out money, we started exposing that tech to other insured so that they can empower their customers and they can give out loan to their customers. And that is really powerful because now we can get to more customers and help more people. Uh, so we have APIs where businesses are integrating with it and they are using that API to fund the loan to their consumers. So it's like a B2C play initially and then you're saying that now you're, there's going to be in addition to that kind of a b2b focus so it's like you're still supporting your target 
customers, but then you're basically almost white labeling your infrastructure and everything you guys have built to some right. to other businesses to to use because you're not going to get their customers. They have their own business. They have their own right. target audience. You're going to let you're going to allow them to loan out money to their customers using your tools, using your I guess using your your financial like, backing yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it depends with whom we are talking with, but basically, right. uh, the risk models, the compliance piece, and everything, the tech that we build, mm-hmm. that we can white label it for them, and they can use it to serve their customer. They they can either bring their own debt capital if they have money, or they, we can also help them with that. But the entire goal is to uh, launch more credit product. Basically, it can be build credit product, it can be loan, it can be line of credit, like multiple products that we can offer. And basically, just the idea is like we have built these technology, which is which is really good, which is not relying on credit reports and SSN and a lot of other factors. I mean, it's good to have it if they have, but if they don't have it, still we can serve them. So, I'm, yeah. I'm- I'm curious, Priyank, if you can share. I mean, I obviously understand that that's probably your secret sauce, but I mean, what do you guys look at then? Because I, I get it. I mean, a company wants to see your your credit history. They, they'll give you out $300 and then they'll raise your credit line to $600. And then over time, you can show that you pay things back. That makes logical sense to me. But to your point, of course, that means that people who don't have years of credit experience, but who might need it right away, don't have access to it. So I don't know, like, how do you guys, what do you guys look at? I mean, I know it's easy to say, oh, well, I know I'm an immigrant and I'm, you know, I'm going to get a good job. And so I'll be able to pay this back in a year. But how do you kind of, yeah, how do you systematize that? No, that's a good question. And, and being very honest, we are learning and we are growing and we are improving that as we are doing more population. But at high level, it's a very simple thing. The way to think about it, like if Roman has to give money to Priyank, what are the factors you're going to look for? First, whether you know I'm my intent is right or not, whether I want to pay you back, whether I'm going to have money to pay you back or not, and whether I'm going to be in the U.S. for long enough to pay you money back or not. So those are the three factors what you look for. And there are different, different ways you can derive that. You can look into education, employment. You can look into transactions. You can look into whether this person has paid his bills on time or not. Because all of us have phone these days. All of us have internet. Are you expecting a small enough contract in your life to pay money back to a phone provider or not is a very good indication, actually. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of factors like that. Credit history is very limited, even for US citizen, actually. It doesn't consider if you're not using credit card or let's say if someone is paying their bills on time it doesn't reflect properly in the credit report although they are working on it to do it also it doesn't talk about your saving rates it doesn't talk about like you know if you get hundred dollar are you what is the rate of spending a lot of other factors that you can look into which help you to understand more about immigrant and other population. I know I gave you a very vague answer, but at high level, those are the characteristics that we try to look at. And then you collect data accordingly and see and try to figure it out. You know, you, you just, it's a really good point because I just set up auto pay for something. And most of these auto pay, uh, you know, kind of automation setup things are, are coming from my, it's not based on my credit card. It's based on my checking account or savings account. And so I wonder, now you're making me think like, is that supporting does that build into my credit into my credit score um i don't know i mean maybe the answer is yes but i just think some some of these organizations like i'm working i'm paying on time but if you don't see that i'm paying it on time then you know and you're not looking for it you're not asking so that's yeah it's an interesting point i wish more people took credit card for uh, auto pay but i also understand that they want to pull from direct cash they don't want to you know they don't want the whole credit card layer uh, yeah the, the Particularly for immigrant, the nature is not credit card based. Like in India, people don't use credit. At least when I, 10, 10 years, 20 years back, they it's more cash driven economy. Uh, we nowadays we have PTMs of the world and wallet of the world where you can use it. It it didn't exist, right? So we are not trained. None of us are trained from day one to use credit card. I th- which might be a good thing actually. You are not using credit card from day one, but. All of a sudden, we are expected to do these things, and um, you know, the, 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 this is a very important point too. Because one big thing what we do is we write a lot of content for financial literacy and education and how to do things. We, because what we learned is sometimes, most of the time, people don't even know 
what are bad for them in credit history. Like you don't know that, you know, auto pay is good or bad. You don't know, some people might not know that paying on time is how important it is actually. So that, that's another big piece which is missing an entire financial system where how you treat people, financial literacy is so important and we are not constantly telling people like, you know, this is the most important thing you have to worry about. Yeah, and honestly, even as somebody who grew up here, we don't learn that in high school. You don't learn that. You just have to like find out somehow. <laughs> you know, I mean, now there's more, much, much more information on the, on the internet, and there's probably YouTube channels that make it easy. But I know that when I was, you know, we had an economics class in college, uh, in high school. I'm sorry, and we we didn't learn. I mean, we learned virtually nothing about balancing a checkbook and why credit. Uh, is important or the, the the challenges there. So yeah, I mean, you guys put out a ton of content around financial literacy, frankly, that I've even read for myself, even though I'm not an immigrant. Um, well, I am an immigrant, but at this point, I'm a US citizen. That's super cool. And and I'm interested, I guess, well, the B2B process or the B2B service that you're offering, I guess that's pretty new, right? Um, and, and so- Yeah, it's been early days. Um, mm-hmm. Couple of folks are integrating. Um, We'll question early. We'll see how things are gonna pan out. Yeah. But the, the idea, high levels, is that we always have this idea of sharing our knowledge actually with others, so that what we learned, others can do, uh, others can use and do a better job as well. And it's coming from that thesis actually, because me and Rohit kind of educate a lot of founders who are trying to do fintech, like how to do a good fintech, and basically what. It came very natural and organic for us that, oh, whatever we are telling, maybe we can create a product for it for others and they can build a good company out of it. So yeah, it's early days. People are doing integration. Let's see how it goes. Maybe 2022 is going to be the year. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That's awesome. So I, you know, I, as we kind of wrap up here, I'm curious, you know, you came here as an F1 student and then you, you got your H1B visa, right? Uh, you know, for, for your jobs and you went through that whole process. Your company now supports a lot of different folks, but still many, many folks who come in uh, as F1 students. Maybe they're coming in as an H1B worker right away, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know. What are some of your thoughts on maybe immigration and any like from your vantage point? Right. Like I know that you're not really in the legal or policy side of things and you're more of the kind of supporting of the immigrant of the person when they're here. Um, But I guess. I don't know, what would you love to see? Like if you could kind of snap your fingers, what would you love to see that you think could make things better um, for the immigrant experience? Oh, that's a good question. I, I guess I guess we are moving in that direction, like in all honesty, like with all in last two to three years, we started seeing a lot more companies who are serving immigrants and they are going into more niche. Like there are companies who are focused on Asian grocery delivery, like we. There are companies who are doing very, there are companies like, you know, we are focused on the media content and a lot of other factors. I think in ideal world, particularly with COVID, things has gotten much worse, actually, because when you're moving from one country to another country, there are like 50 regulations you have to constantly keep track of. And if I'm traveling to US, there's a 24 hours before test and I'm traveling to India, there are three days before antigen test and then the type of tests are different. Pretty sure if you're going to travel, you're going to see all those regulations and try to figure it out. I honestly think we are at a stage where we can streamline that process because we can have a better communication among country, at least for traveling purpose, for visa and B1 and B2 and H1. Obviously, like I'm not going to comment on oh what the H1B policy should be and all those. Mm. But I think it doesn't matter what policies are. But once we have given visa to someone, or once we have decided they can come in, that process needs to be super amazingly smooth. I don't even remember the days. I don't know in New York, it might be still true. Like in Uber, this seamless experience. You go in, you get out, auto detect your payment. You don't have to worry about cash or anything like that. In early days, it used to be you are getting on the cab, sitting inside, swapping your card, finding out cash, going cash, waiting for cash to happen, get the change and then get out, right? Like that, that process was there. It was more human, but it was not very efficient. Now it's like you don't even have to think about it. So I think the the entire immigration is very complicated right now. The end experience is not good enough as a product. It should be very smooth. You get into a plane, you got visa, you got approved. It should be just walked through in the border, at least for the people who have valid visa, who have who have gone through this process of US embassy to get the visa, interview, 
then having another interview on the at the airport where you are going through the queue and getting things done it just doesn't make sense to me why we are doing these things multiple times so I, I think with the current information sharing and at the current stage where we have technology where you can do a lot of validation or document online and do video call validation and this and that i think we can streamline a lot of process much faster uh, and make the end user experience amazing it's just we haven't thought about doing it yet and you know that's the hope for me you know with with conversations like this because again when i thought about immigration tech in the very beginning it was the forums it was the legal process and and it's just thinking about um, how much more uh, opportunity there is within the the whole immigration journey to bring in technology, to bring in automation, or maybe even without technology, but to build services to help people with certain things that traditionally they had to figure out on their own. I think there's a lot of opportunity to make the whole the journey easier and better, especially given how difficult it is personally for someone who's moving and relocating and you know maybe even taking their family. So yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with that. And you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing at Stilt because I think it's um, it's touching on something that a lot of people maybe don't think about, especially the, on the lawyers, or at least from my experience, um, you know, perhaps this is something that lawyers and, and immigration service providers can think about more. Um, and frankly, when I think about it, you know, I, I worked in the employment immigration context. And so for me, my clients were companies and they had really good support systems for their clients. But I'm just thinking if I was a family immigration attorney, um, or if I worked with small companies that maybe relied on me for a lot more than just the visa, but just insight, I feel like, I mean, I'm kind of plugging you guys, but I feel like immigration lawyers should be, hey, congratulations on your visa. Here's some of the next steps you should think about. By the way, when you enter the U.S., here's an option for some ways to uh, potentially, if you need to get money for an apartment or to get a car or to whatever, like check out Stilt to be able to get help with your loan. I mean, that was totally a plug. Uh, but I just, as I'm thinking about it, it makes sense because it's something that, again, lawyers are not, it's not our job to help the immigrants settle in, you know, that directly. But given that there are more and more companies to do that, it could be our job to at least share the resources with them that are available. Right, right. M makes sense. I mean, I, this, I think there are boundaries we created. Oh, this is the legal issue. This is the finance issue. Right. And... That that into an experience is broken that way, and someone needs right. to drive that and link everyone and try to do it. So you you are right. Like, start from either legal. It can also start from us. Like you know, from H one B, you want to get to green cards. We might say like, look, come to us. We'll help you. Here's a counseling, free counseling on what to do next. So um, things need to be more tightly coupled to have a better experience. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's very decoupled. Right. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I'm I'm sort of thinking it's it's like we're putting it in silos, and really the that's the whole antithesis of where things are going, where we want to break down silos and, and have information yeah. sharing. Man, that's really cool. I, I want to ask you. I want to kind of end on this question, uh, but I'm, I'm curious. You know, you were living in. You came here. You were living in New York. I know you're now in the Bay Area. Um, what's kind of a a, a fun uh, memory that you have from New York that you'll never forget from your time here as a as a student or or afterwards? Uh, wow. Uh, I was stuck in Colombia for 36 hours. We we had a we had this no show, and I remember I couldn't even open the door because it was wow. quite fit as snow. So we had to stay in the library for 24 hours. Thank God we had cafeteria which was open, so we had food and coffee. But in, I think it was in the first year, so it was very. I mean, fun experience because I'm coming from India. I never saw snow. But at the same time, like, damn, I'm stuck here. What should I do? So wow. I still remember, like, uh, like waiting for snow to shovel and door to open and then getting out and seeing New York. Oh, everywhere there's snow white. And it, it was fun. It was, I, I cannot forget that. Like, it was one is, once in a lifetime experience. Wow. where you are stuck but you know you're inside the building so it's not hurting me in any way but it was fun and you're and you're not stuck just inside any building you're stuck inside columbia university that's incredible yeah. and i used to do night out study session so for me it was like oh it's fine i'm gonna spend one more night it doesn't matter <laughs> wow 
Wow. That is, that's so cool. Yeah. Thank God you guys had a cafeteria open and you had some food. Um, that's amazing. That's cool. Now you're making me wish for a snow day because I, I want to, I mean, the, the dream is to look outside of New York city and see pearly white, you know, the, all the, the cabs covered right, in snow. Right. Cause as you know, you know, it, it snows the second it stops in two hours, it's disgusting slush. everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's, it goes from really beautiful to really gross in a matter of hours. So that's really awesome. Well, uh, Priyank, thank you so much. This was a, just such a fun an interesting conversation. It's really cool to hear about what you guys are, are doing and where you're moving forward with Stilt. And, um, you know, thanks for supporting the immigrant community. You know, as an immigrant myself, I'm sure my family could have probably used Stilt and, and you know, been been able to maybe take out more alone or something in the beginning. So I think it's great what, what you guys are, are doing and, and the support you bring to the community. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, thanks, Roman, for having me. Uh, it's great that you know you are. I am so happy to see you are focused on immigrant tech. Actually, there's a word now, immigrant tech, where people are focused on doing it. So I'm pretty sure, like you know, 20, 30 years down the road, we'll look back and like, oh, we started this and see how big it has become. So thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Thank you.